we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. A missionary friend of mine in Africa asked some of the folks he was working with, how would you describe Americans? What was their answer? Fat. I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. At its last count, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, we know as the CDC, estimated that 40% of U.S. adults aged 20 and over and 21% of teens and 14% of preschoolers are obese. Catch those numbers. I Preschoolers, 14%. This, it sends chills up my spine. A recent mathematical model using 15 years of data predicted that a 700% increase of type 2 diabetes diagnoses in Americans under the age of 20 by 2060, the year 2060. Unbelievable. To save our children, we have to stop what all these unhealthy trends that are making us fat. Sorry, Charlie, we can't use some sugar coating, excuse the pun, but we're fat. A few weeks ago, the TV show 60 Minutes had a segment entitled Obesity. I usually don't watch 60 Minutes, but I turned it on as I'm interested in the topic. And it turned out it was 20 minutes straight of an advertisement for pharmaceuticals. The takeaway was that overeating is not your fault and drugs can solve your obesity problem. This reliance on drugs is yet another way to strip us of our personal responsibility and turn us into slugs dependent on others for our existence. Even children are being groomed to be dependent on pharmaceuticals. The American Academy of Pediatrics is now recommending that pediatricians provide immediate intensive obesity treatment to each patient. They said watchful waiting just allows children to get fatter. So far, so good. But these are for children, the guideline suggests surgery and drugs. And behavioral and lifestyle treatment was sort of an aside. The guidelines author in an interview chastised healthcare providers for their weight bias and their, quote, misconception that obesity is a personal failing or a matter of willpower or ultimately a fault of the child and parent. It's curious to me that the guidelines don't address prevention, but the Pediatric Society said, oh, they'll work on that in another guideline document. Wouldn't you think that old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, would apply with obesity too? Now, direct-to-consumer advertising has been around since 1985, 
But it seems now that every ad on television is for a drug. And we drug companies spent $7 billion on advertising, and most of it was TV. You just can't escape it. And guess what? These obesity drugs top the list. So how do we square the notion that obesity is not your fault with all the warnings that our Western diet full of sugar and fats and carbohydrates, as well of our lack of exercise, contribute to obesity? Tonight, we're going to talk about an approach to living in good health with a friend of the show, Dr. Molly Rutherford. Dr. Rutherford is the founder, medical director, and a physician at Bluegrass Family Wellness. It's a direct primary care clinic in Kentucky. She's board certified in family medicine and addiction medicine and employs a holistic approach to her patient's physical health. She's put her knowledge of addiction working with science to work on nutrition counseling. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rutherford. Thank you for having me, Marilyn. Appreciate it. Well, first, just I really do believe a lot of the listeners just kind of like to know more than, you know, medical background. What's your journey into becoming a primary care physician? Oh, wow. That's a that's a long one. Um well, I, I, it was a non-traditional route. Uh, in other words, I did not go to medical school straight out of college. Um, I worked, I actually worked at the NIH after college. Um, and I actually worked for doctor uh, with, in the NIAID with Dr. Fauci. <laughs> oh, I don't so, know. Can uh, we let you on the show? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you probably wouldn't have if you had known that, right? <laughs> Um, so anyway, I worked in the lab for a few, few years, and then I worked in his office, actually office of the director, office of policy analysis. And I had a different name than I wasn't married, uh, yet my name, my last name was Hardison at the time. So I don't know if he would remember me, but anyway, I just did some science writing, wrote some of his remarks to council while I was there. And then. I, I went to Johns Hopkins University and, and got a master's in public health while I was working there. And I just felt called, I guess, um, you know, I am a Christian. I felt called to be a physician and my family physician growing up, his name, he was a wonderful man. His name is um, Dr. Napolitano and he practiced in Northern Virginia where I grew up. And I, I, he just had an impact on my life and I wanted to be like him. So, um, I, I always knew I wanted to be a family, family doctor. And when I, when I was accepted to Georgetown university in Washington, DC, um, I really hoped that I would get accepted somewhere else because I knew I didn't want to specialize. And at that time they didn't really emphasize primary care at Georgetown. So I was accepted at Eastern Virginia medical school and that was perfect and, um, ended up graduating from medical school in 2003 and then completed a family medicine residence residency in 2006 in Portsmouth, Virginia. So that was my journey. And now you have this family medicine practice. What got you started with addiction medicine? Well, moving to Kentucky, basically during the opioid epidemic, it was another God situation. Um, not something that I would have 
predicted um, or planned. Um, so we left we left Virginia in 2006, moved out here to Kentucky for both of our jobs, my husband and I. And I had a young, I had my first son by then. I had him during residency and um, I did rural medicine up in a place called Carrollton, Kentucky, which is at the, where the Ohio river and the Kentucky river meet. And I wanted, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a rural doctor. Um, well, it just so happened that that was when the opioid crisis was going wild in Appalachia and it was extending all across Kentucky. I took over a practice where there was um, some overprescribing for sure um, by the, the physician who preceded me. I don't think he intended to harm anyone, but you know, we were trained, we were told by government and by pharma that we were under treating pain and that we needed to be more compassionate and, um, and that these medicines were not addictive. Don't worry, you know, don't be an opiophobe. Just go ahead and hand out these pain pills to everyone. And that's, that's what happened. So, um, it was frustrating for me and I would come home from work just like, I don't think, you know, I'm, everyone's on pain pills. Everyone's on Xanax. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get them off of these meds. They're clearly not helping. I think they're harming, you know, it was a battle. And, um, my husband had listened to some podcast or, or watched a show and learned about buprenorphine, which the, the brand name is Suboxone. And so he said, why don't you go learn about this? And I decided to get trained to prescribe it. And then once I started treating people who were in the throes of opioid addiction with this medication, I was sold because it just completely turned their lives around. Um, you know, that is one pharmaceutical that I, I definitely, I can say with confidence saves lives. And, um, so I decided to go back and get my specialty in addiction and try to help people uh, struggling with other things. And I mean, as you know, we, you know, as doctors, we, we do deal with addiction. Everyone, all of us do, because we all have patients who smoke. We have patients who drink too much. And as it turns out, we probably have patients who are addicted to carbohydrates, sugars, processed food. So um, I had been treating addiction all along, but I just had an interest. So I went and got my specialty. Well, you gave me a good intro to my next question, because as I, you see, I started off talking about obesity because it seems to be the new crisis in America's health. I mean, and everybody knows you die earlier, you get heart disease, high blood pressure, stroke, type two diabetes, what, gallbladder disease, breathing problems, and certain cancers with obesity. Yet, it's mm -hmm. very bizarre how it's being dealt with, which we'll get into in the show. But let's just go from addiction. How can food be an addiction? Well, sugar in particular, it 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 um, it releases similar chemicals. It sugar activates opioid receptors. So, um, not all food, I guess could be described as addictive. However, I, the food industry knows that sugar is addictive. Um, and especially there's a combination of sugar and fat, like in donuts, um, Oreos, for example, the food industry, they've actually just, they've figured out how to engineer food 
so that it is, we are more likely to binge it. Um, and I, and I know everyone who's listening has experienced this. There's, there's a food that I ha- I can't eat because I will, I can't stop. I'll eat the whole bag and that's Doritos. And, you know, there's nothing nutritious about Doritos. There's really no reason for me to eat them, but you know, occasionally at a party, it's just, they've, it's genius. They've, they've engineered these foods to be addictive. Um, when, when we eat them, they don't make us full. First of all, carbohydrates don't stimulate the correct hormones that tell our bodies that we're full. Um, protein and fat are much better at doing that. Um, so any, any carbohydrate is not, you're not going to get that sensation that you're full as early on. So you're going to continue eating. And then just the, the combination of the sugar, the flavors that they add, the, the other chemicals that they add, it causes dopamine release in our brain. So it's, it's the same mechanism as, as all the other addictions. Well, what happened with this addition of high fructose corn syrup? I mean, fructose is so-called natural, it's in fruit, but what's the deal with putting all of this in our foods that kind of help make it addictive or does it make you more fat or how does that work? My understanding with the high fructose corn syrup is it's, it's a cost saving way to sweeten things. And it's, um, that's how it came about. And our bodies don't know how to utilize it. Um, our body basically takes the fructose and stores it as fat around our liver. And um, I'm a little rusty on the science, but if, if anyone listening wants to brush up on that science, Dr. Jason Fung is outstanding. He wrote a book called The Obesity Code. Um, he wrote a book called The Diabetes Code and a, and a newer one called The Cancer Code, which explains why obesity is linked to cancer as well. So um, he's, he's very, he, he explains the science in such a clear way. But it, I, fructose is in fruit is also combined with fiber. So if you eat the whole fruit, the fiber, the way that your body digests it, um, it tampers the, the insulin response somewhat because of the fiber. Uh, the fiber also makes you feel full. So a natural food like that, when you're getting fructose in that way, our bodies know how to handle it because, you know, God made the fruit and God made us. That's the way I see it. Um, that all of these chemical processed foods, we weren't made to know how to process, process them, how to digest them and how to use those or lack of nutrients, I guess, um, because they, they really don't have much nutrition, these ultra processed foods. Wow. Well, we were taught some more about this, of course, that's what our show is all about after the break. But before the break, I'm just going to talk about a drug. Yes, it's quite not, I would say, not as dramatic as stopping opiate use. However, with COVID, and you know, I always swear I never want to talk about COVID, that, but we have to admit it's out there. Some of us are going to get it, but we can do everything we can not to get it. 
And one of the things we can do is take Cofix RX. What Cofix RX is, is it's a nasal spray and it has iodine, vitamin D, and xylitol. All these things help stop viruses and other germs in their tracks. And most of us, probably almost 100% of these respiratory illnesses come through the nose. So that's why this Cofix RX came out. And early on, this was a couple of years back, when people were talking about uh, some of these heavy duty treatments for COVID, somebody, an American doctor said, this povidone iodine works if you squirt it up the nose. And indeed it does. And interestingly, now totally mainstream people who were poo-pooed because they talked about it, suddenly anti-COVID nasal sprays are coming out. So we were ahead of the curve with Cofix RX. I take it whenever I'm out and know I'm going to go shopping, I make sure I have a squirt and um, knock on wood, we've been healthy and haven't gotten COVID. I'm not saying you won't, but we've got to do everything we can to try not to get it. So look at for the button for Cofix RX right on our page and you can click that on and read more about it. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. So, back to our show talking about healthy life and obesity. One study came out in the new year, which it's to me was one of those studies that was kind of a duh, but they gave us a number. They said that you can reduce your risk of an early death for any reason by nearly 20% just by more healthful eating patterns. What are they? Whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes, and less red meat. So guess what? 
healthful eaters were less likely to die from cancer, cardiovascular disease, even dementia. So here we go, Dr. Rutherford. What do you do to try to get patients to sign on to eating more healthful foods, especially given that you know the way these foods are put together? They're tugging at us to eat the bad things, not the good things. It's, it's hard. It's a difficult conversation to have because some of the, the healthier foods or the whole foods are more expensive. Um, I do t- tell people you're going to need to eat less if you transition to eating more of these natural foods. One of the things that started this obesity at the beginning of this obesity epidemic that, um, you know, some of us, it's a correlation, obviously, but one of the things that started back in the 1970s, 1980s, maybe even earlier was that, um, they told us to avoid eating fat. Um, and they said that it causes heart disease. Well, they started to manufacture all of these low fat food products. And how did they make them flavorful? They put sugar in them because they weren't palatable without the fat. Um, It turns out, I don't know if you've read this great book called big fat surprise by Nina Teicholz. She's a journalist and um, it's a fascinating book. She goes through the history of how this low-fat diet recommendation came about. And we have to completely reverse what we've been taught for the past, I don't know, 40, 50 years because it was bad information. There is such a thing as bad fat. And it, what that is is fat that's manufactured in a, in a factory. So... Um, industrialized oils is what we call them. Vegetable oil, sunflower oil, natural fats are fine. So you can leave the, you can leave the skin on your chicken. You can eat the fat on your steak. You can eat bacon. You can um, cook with lard, cook with bacon grease. Butter is good. Grass-fed butter, preferably. Um, Olive oil is, is good for you, but you want to avoid any of these oils that are manufactured. So they, they they don't come from an actual, um, oily source. So it's hard to convince people of that because we, we, we have been sort of brainwashed to think that eating fat is bad for us. Um, back in, I don't remember when it happened, but at some point, all of the restaurants were ordered to stop cooking French fries and so forth in lard. They were, they were told to stop cooking with butter. And so all the restaurants still use these really toxic industrialized oils that are not only more likely to make people fat, but they are pro-inflammatory. So they, they are the reason why so, so many people are inflamed and in, in chronic pain all the time. Um, so that, that's another book that I recommend to anyone listening is called Big Fat Surprise. And it goes through... Um, what happened with that. And it, it, it correlates nicely with what we've been through in the past couple of years, because it, there's, there's like a big business, big corporation component to it be, being the big food business this time, not big pharma. So it's fascinating. So I try to tell people to eat, go back to eating what is, you know, 
hunted or what is grows in the ground, you know, don't bother with low fat dairy. If you're going to eat dairy, if you can tolerate dairy, eat full fat dairy because low fat dairy tastes terrible (laughs) and eggs are excellent. You know, they've gone back and forth in the scientific literature and the medical establishment. Eggs are bad. Eggs are good. Eggs are bad. Eggs are good. (laughs) Eggs are fine. (laughs) Eggs are good for you. And they're very filling. So, um, that's, how I try to make people change their diet. And then I tell, I I even recommend make some hard boiled eggs at at the beginning of the week to bring with you so that if, if you get hungry and you think you want a snack, you're not going to eat Doritos. You'll grab that egg and it'll actually um, cure the hunger that you're feeling. Well, I think that's the biggest thing with these snacks. They don't, like you said, they don't fill you up. And of course that's on purpose. So you'll eat more. Um, I, I stopped buying snacks a while ago when the food prices went up, my husband (laughs) loves chili cheese Fritos and we splurge maybe twice a month and we'll have chili cheese Fritos and a beer. And I went to pick some up and it was a smallish bag and it was $4 and 49 cents. And I just thought, (laughs) That is too much to pay for a little bag of chili cheese Fritos. Sorry, we'll have to suffer. And we're better off for it. Well, absolutely. One thing you mentioned, you talked about fat and inflammation, and it just so happens uh, just in January, a study came out that showed one of the reasons, and then of course the theory, but it was... um, in animals that why obesity helped cause cancer because the cells were big and then they became oxygen starved after they got so big. So they'd start to die and that would cause inflammation. The inflammation brings in more blood vessels and that feeds a tumor. I mean, it was a very interesting process they described and it seems to be so common in many of the diseases that we end up having are, you know, our so-called first world diseases, these autoimmune diseases and all these sorts of things go back to inflammation. I think, and I think it's great if just modifying our food can help with that. You know, even if you say, forget about losing weight, just to decrease the inflammation. I would think that would be something patients could hang on to. Yes, exactly. So when I started this journey, helping people with, um, with their diet and with their lifestyle changes, um, I was offering a class at my practice called restart and a friend of mine who happened to also be a patient, she led the class. So I decided to take the class, even though I'm one of those annoying, naturally thin people, um, that nobody feels sorry for. I was, I wanted to take the class. Now, Dr. Rutherford, I have to interrupt because now so far you're going to make my listeners just turn the radio off. Oh, I'm sorry. For Dr. Fauci, you're naturally thin. What's going to come out of your mouth next? (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I know. Well, let, let me finish. Let me finish. Don't, don't turn it off yet. Everyone. So I decided I wanted to take the class just because I wanted to, I wanted to experience what I was going to be recommending for people. 
And it was a, it was a three week, it was basically a three week processed food slash sugar detox. And it was, it was challenging. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It was hard to not eat any processed food and to not eat any, especially added sugars for three weeks. And at the beginning we did a symptom questionnaire um, just like a review of systems, basically of, you know, do you have nasal congestion? Do you have gut issues? Do you sleep well? All these questions. And um, I, at the end, we redid the questionnaire. Well, for me, I was sleeping better. Um, I, my gut issues basically disappeared. Um, I didn't have all the nasal congestion. So any inflammation that I had in my body in that three week sugar detox went away. So it's not, it's not that even if you're not obese, even if you're not overweight, if you're eating processed food and I was, I was eating a lot of processed food cause I was busy and I was just grabbing, you know, whatever, a bar, um, candy, whatever I wanted. And, um, throughout the day, you're, you're just not doing healthy things for your body. And so that, that was very clear for me and it changed my life because since then I've tried to stay fairly, fairly low sugar, low carb. Um, you know, I will I'll detox from alcohol for several weeks at a time just to remind myself, Oh, I feel so much better when I don't, when I don't drink. Um, and then, when I do go kind of off the rails, if I'm on vacation, you know, um, I can feel it. You can feel it in your body. And, and I've had several patients say that to me who make the changes in order to lose weight. They lose weight really rapidly, especially the men for some reason. I think women, we have some hormones in our body that help us to, to keep weight on. We don't lose it as fast as men. It's so funny to watch a couple start their low carb journey or start their lifestyle change journey. And the, the wife always gets really annoyed quickly because the, the men just seem to <laughs> drop the weight so fast. Um, so that, that's, that's sort of how I started to recommend it. And then I've just, I've had some amazing stories. I have a, a man in his seventies who came to me for some health coaching to lose weight. And then he, he had been on insulin for 20 years. And, um, by changing his diet in this way and being very strict, almost keto, very, very low carb, he was able to, um, get off insulin in his seventies. So that's something that, you know, we're not taught in medical school. Like we're, we're pretty much taught that doesn't happen once you're, once you're diagnosed with diabetes and you go on insulin, you're on it forever. And that's, that's just not true. So well, that's very interesting because I, you know, Marilyn, the conspiracy theorist, but you look at this um, tie-in with the pharmaceutical industry and physicians and you read medical journals and what supports medical journals are all the pharmaceutical ads. And certainly with insulin, and we've now have these laws that are trying to cap the price of insulin you know, something that's been around for years. Yes, it's been modified, but insulin's been around for what? It's 100 years now almost. And mm -hmm. uh, to have the price be so high. And it kind of makes you wonder why people aren't pushing things like what you just described, this low-carb uh, 
what keto diet, but maybe not 100% keto, would be enough to get a patient off insulin. I don't hear people saying that. You don't hear the drug ad said, well, you know, we're selling you this, but first try your diet. You, you don't even hear that. Right. I know. And there are, there are other doctors around the country who are doing this um, that I've become friends with through kind of like the low carb community. If you're interested, I can send you some, some info on um, some of those organizations later, but um, Dr. Tro Kalajian, he's in New York, Dr. Brian Lenskis, he's in Southern California. They both struggled with their own um, food addiction and obesity, and they were able to turn it around with this, with these lifestyle changes and, you know, exercise of course is part of it, mindfulness, sleeping. And, um, that's, that was what led me to create the app that I created during COVID called foundations and health. It's, um, you know, we were already noticing that people with obesity were more likely to die from COVID. So, I was thinking, what can I do? You know, how can I help people be prepared for the next pandemic? You know, how can, how can I help people be more healthy so that the next thing that comes around, they'll be ready and, you know, that they won't be likely to end up on a vent or God forbid die, you know, from the next uh, China virus. Well, this whole thing, you know, and I hope, people are listening. And, you know, it's funny, because, um, like I said, in the intro, that doctors were admonished for fat shaming or whatever. I don't think most doctors are going to sit there and go neener, 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 you're fat. But trying to have the conversation about ways to change your life, I don't think anyone wants to be fat. But you see what it bothers me so much and I haven't, you know, completely mapped out the politics of obesity. But one thing that bothers me so much is this sort of cultural normalization of something that's not healthy. And then you turn around and, you know, you read the articles and Yahoo News and USA Today. Oh, you know, obesity causes all, you know, the myriad of problems, heart disease, cancer, you know, respiratory problems, all this. Yet then in the next picture, you have a big fat singer in a bikini. Like, right. it, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. But that seems so typical that uh, there is a lot of hypocrisy and things that don't really add up. But one of these days, I'll figure out the politics of obesity. When we, well, when we come back, hold that thought. We'll okay. talk about that in your app, how it works and uh, why it works, all this sort of thing. But for now, I want to thank everybody for listening. Even though we have a traitor in our midst, and <laughs> <laughs> America Out Loud Pulse is, you can hear it on our apps on Apple, Android, and Alexa. We're on every weekday at 5 with an encore at 11 p.m. And we're on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. You can listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. My favorite part is that the shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours. 
The episodes are on lots of networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So make it easy, bookmark americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. One of the best things about the show is that it's a different doctor every night. I'm on on Mondays. Tuesdays, we have Dr. Jordan Fawn and Stuart Tankersley. Wednesdays with Dr. Peter McCulloch and Malcolm Atloud. Thursdays with Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Friday, we used to have Nurse Jody O'Malley, but she's moved to Nurses Out Loud, which is on Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. So... We've got a, a great lineup, and I hope you continue to listen. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. We are going to continue to listen to Dr. Rutherford. She was talking about an app that helps with this weight loss. I won't even call it weight loss, more healthful eating, healthful lifestyle journey. So do tell, tell it all. The app is called Foundations in Health. Thanks for uh, um, bringing that up. And it is... um, my patients get a discount, but anyone can sign up. If you go to healthfoundationsapp.com, you can sign up. You get a personalized health coach. It focuses on um, diet, of course, exercise, stress management, and sleep. So it just all the lifestyle changes that you need to be in your best health. But, you know, admittedly, most people want to do it because they are trying to lose weight. Um, I think one of the reasons that maybe our culture is trying to normalize obesity is because it's, it is so, so prevalent. Um, and I, I don't think it's healthy and I, I don't think, like you said, I don't think doctors fat shame people. I think we just, we we know the reality that, 
you know, being overweight, being obese, being inactive is not good for your health. So it's our job. If we don't mention it, we're not doing our job. Um, but the, the app does a great job of helping people learn how to look at food differently. So rather than counting calories, the calories are mentioned, but it's more focused on, on counting the nutrients, um, carbohydrates and sugar, they cause a release of insulin. Insulin is a fat storage hormone. So most people, if they are overweight, if you were to check their fasting insulin and check their fasting glucose, even if their hemoglobin A1C is in the normal range, you're going to see uh, signs of insulin resistance. There's another calculation called the HOMA IR, and it's um, it it's a calculation of the fasting glucose over the fasting insulin. And that is a, an earlier marker of people that are going into insulin resistance. So um, that's why people who, you know, eat more of the processed foods are more likely to gain weight um, because, because of that whole insulin being a fat storage hormone. And then, as I mentioned, women, we have some other hormones that lead to us having a harder time of, um, losing weight. And we have in general, uh, a higher percentage of body fat and that's on purpose. Um, God made us that way for, for a reason. So the, um, the app is very good. I've, I've tested it. Um, my nurse practitioner who works with me, she's, she's struggled some with her weight and she's used it and she loves it. Um, it also incorporates some fasting for people who like that. There are people who really struggle to keep their carb count low. And so for them, I typically encourage that they just increase their fasting window. So instead of having breakfast at 8 a.m., um, have breakfast later and then um, narrow their eating window. So only eat during eight hours of a 24-hour period. And some people like to extend that. Some people like to fast for a couple of days. They feel great. And it's good for, for, for the body in many other ways. I think Dr. Paul Merrick has been doing some fasting and he lost some weight. He was able to reverse some things in his health. He's very public about it. And uh, it, it encourages autophagy as well, or autophagy, depending on how you want to pronounce it, which is um, anti-aging. So there are many benefits to the fasting component of it as well. Well, now... Uh, presumably somebody would talk to a doctor before they start fasting. Is, are there harms that can come from fasting? I think people should talk to their doctor first before making any of these lifestyle changes. Yes. But you want to talk to the right doctor because you don't want to talk to a doctor who's still telling you that you can't skip breakfast and you need to eat every two hours and you need to, you know, they, if they are telling you the food pyramid, like most of your calories should come from carbohydrates, they're not giving you very good information in my opinion. Um, so I, especially someone with diabetes that's on insulin. Yes, you have to proceed with caution with fasting because you don't want your blood sugar to drop. You may need to adjust your insulin. And that's, that's how I was able to help my patient get off his insulin is we just, we stayed in contact more frequently. He had excellent access to me. I'm able to do it um, better than most doctors because I have the direct care practice. So I, I, I'm not overwhelmed, you know, having to see a patient every 10 minutes, um, you know, worrying about billing codes or worrying about, you know, the next thing that my hospital administrators are going to tell me to do. So I'm, 
I'm blessed in that way. But I think that more doctors after this pandemic in particular are eager to kind of get out of the system and do this kind of practice. So, um, you know, I always make myself available to help doctors do it. And then I am going to be speaking at the Free Market Medical Association in May, uh, presenting on direct primary care and then just helping lead um, several groups on direct care because you can do direct specialty care also. So I, I encourage doctors that, that want to help patients in this way to get out of the system. It's going to be a lot harder to do it in the system. You're just going to be told to send people for bariatric surgery or hand them a medication. Well, this was one of the things that I walked away from that 60 minute show. And I'm sure some people listening saw it. And I don't know if their ears pricked up the way mine did. I mean, they had two doctors and they were talking about um, Ozempic. And, mm-hmm. and oh, Ozempic. I mean, I can even see yes. tune to it. They advertise mm-hmm. it so much. And um, they were bemoaning the fact that insurance didn't pay for it unless it was for a diabetic and, and <laughs> on and on. And then they had one woman who had lost weight with it, hug the obese woman and say, oh, it's so exciting. Your insurance is going to pay for it now. And all I could do was do a major eye roll. Right. What you're talking about seems to get more to the core more cellular and and kind of just a total patient approach. And yeah. isn't it funny? We like off-label use of medications. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How dare we prescribe, you know, off-label medicines for people during COVID and all of a sudden, you know, everyone wants Ozempic to be covered for obesity. It's just funny yeah. ironic yeah well say in, interesting again my my <laughs> mind didn't completely wrap around this before the show i'll admit it listeners but there's gotta be <laughs> something nefarious under all this i mean wouldn't you want us to be healthy it would decrease overall health care costs if we took right. more charge of our own health if we went to doctors like you and the thousands of others around the country who do direct pay practices, direct primary care practices. And there's a lot of variations on that theme, but the bottom line is you're the patient's doctor. Some big business, some health system is not the patient's doctor. And Mm -hmm. keeping that relationship helps keep a patient more healthy. And it's like, they don't want that. They don't want the patient to take care of themselves. No, take that Ozempic. Right. You know, and and they didn't even say it was like the third line. I mean, obviously, sometimes we have to take medications. We're not anti-medication. Not at all. Yeah. It shouldn't be. I have some patients. Right. I had I have some patients who have had some success with those medicines, Ozempic and similar medicines. And um, and you know, they I just tell them, you know. do you want to be on this forever? Because I don't, I, we don't know the long-term consequences. I think there's already, um, you know, some well-known side effects that aren't, aren't excellent with those medicines. Um, but you know, Americans are not just Americans, but people, we would rather have the easy, faster solution. 
Um, and, and that's, I get that. Um, but I think I always tell people if, if I'm helping them with a medicine for obesity, you're going to have to make the lifestyle changes while you're on this medicine, because if at some point you're not going to want to be on it anymore, or it's, you know, you're going to get side effects or it's going to stop working. That's just, I've been in medicine long enough to realize that's kind of what happens. And, um, so, so just in the process, do the app or, you know, some other kind of diet plan where, or lifestyle plan, I, I always call it a lifestyle. Cause when you call it a diet it's kind of, you set them up for failure immediately. You, you truly have to change your trajectory on, on what you're doing. You can't people who go back to the same habits of eating the processed food and eating all the sugar gain everything back and more. And, um, it's hard to watch. Well, and I think it's so important using the term lifestyle because definitely it includes exercise. There yet another study I remember last year toward the end of the year that came out that talked about exercise was the number one preventive tool for dementia. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of sub things. It's not merely the exercise. Sometimes it's because you're around people, you're you're doing it together and you're getting more fresh air and not just sitting in your inside, you know, you're getting vitamin D from the sunshine, all this. So exercise is more than just the, the exercise, but that it can be the number one thing to ward off dementia. Boy, that gets me out my front door. The older I get, the less I want dementia, believe me. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. I have um, noticed that in, you know, patients and loved ones, the, the family members who have committed to exercise their whole lives, they, it, as they get older, it's just so obvious um, how much better they do, you know, when they get sick or um, just cognitively as well. Um, it's, it's really obvious. And I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners have seen it. Oh, and I'm sure, and and just like, you know, none of us want to take the hard way, you know, easy way out is easy. That's why it's the easy way out. But part of it is sort of the media brainwashing that um, like, even with these drugs, they show people in some of the commercials, they're not necessarily exercising, but they're getting quote unquote healthy. If they showed the whole picture and it wasn't in the fine print, this taken along with diet and exercise, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, um, yeah. it's like, why don't you say do your diet and exercise and then think about taking the medication? So, right. Um, I, I wish that we could reverse whatever law allowed pharmaceutical companies to do direct, uh, direct advertising to consumers, because I think it's not just bad for our friends and family members and patients. It's, and frustrating for doctors because, you know, we have people coming in telling us what they want, um, without, you know, having time to educate. But I I really think it's part of all of what we're experiencing and how the media can't tell the truth about things that are happening now, you know, some side effects that we're seeing 
from um, the COVID vaccine, for example. You know, I just I think uh, it's it's just corrupted everything. Um, well, well, it is sad because there used to be a time when the whole point of media was just it throw out some facts and it's up for you up to you to decide and investigate some more. But, um, and we thought we'd hit the gold mine with the internet because my goodness, suddenly you could read all sorts of newspapers without them being in your town or you having to get a subscription for a million dollars. And suddenly, I don't know, you know, when it happened, it's like suddenly you wake up and realize you're an alcoholic or something. You wake up and realize, why don't I ever see X, Y, or Z in the paper that I only see one opinion. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this talk about not being healthy. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's unhealthy for our minds. And as it turns out for our bodies. Right. Right. So now how can people who aren't in Kentucky get your app? They can go to healthfoundationsapp.com and sign up. It's $55 a month and you get a health coach. I recommend that people do it for three or four months just because it takes that long to establish new habits. And um, when you're ready to quit, you just go onto the app and you quit. Uh, my patients, they get, you know, they get the extra attention from me. They pay the membership fee to my practice, but, um, I, I really think it's probably helpful for anyone to do the app. And then if the health coaches feel that the person needs, um, to discuss it with their, you know, any change that they do with their physician first, they'll tell them that. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think for the majority of people, it's perfectly safe to try Um, they, at the very beginning, you do a little bit of exercise kind of fitness testing so that your health coach can gauge where you are in your fitness and then tailor your, your exercise program to you. So if you've been completely sedentary, they're not going to just, you know, tell you go to the CrossFit gym. (laughs) They're going to work with you to work up to what you can handle. Well, that sounds fantastic. Now, one of the things I'd like you to do is send me the list of the books you mentioned, because I know people didn't wouldn't get a chance to write them down that fast. And I'll put them in the write up with the show when we air the show, um, because I read a couple of them. And I can honestly say they're easy to read and very insightful. And sometimes I do think if you know the the principles behind something, it helps you uh, latch on to it a little bit more. It's not like, well, Dr. Molly just said to do it, you know. (laughs) Right. And Gary Gary Tobbs is another excellent writer who um, does low carb and he has a few books too. So I'll mention those. So I'll mention a few doctors who have written books and, and some other people who aren't doctors. So it would be less technical for people to read. Oh, that'll be great. Cause sometimes in, th- in shows like this, I put a suggested reading at the bottom of my little intro. Well, and then Ivor Cummins, by the way, he's fat emperor on Twitter. He's got a YouTube channel. 
he does, he's in the low carb space and he's also, he was a lifesaver during COVID because he was on regularly analyzing all the data. So he's been on team reality with all of that. So he's an outstanding person to follow if, uh, if anyone listening is, is looking for more information on um, the things that I talked about regarding fat and sugar, et cetera. Okay. So mm-hmm. now we, now we've heard it. And uh, from a primary care and addiction specialist, Dr. Molly Rutherford, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm sure we'll talk again. Yes. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay. And thank you everybody for listening to our show. I, I really like the shows. I listen to our other doctors and one of the features we have is questions. You can send them in to americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse, and we'll get you an answer. And um, you can ask it of the host or the guest and we'll, try to get back to you as soon as we can. And in the meantime, thanks again. And whether you agree or have other opinions, I'd like you to share the show. So until next week, say it loud. I'm free and honest.